We are finishing our series on God's Word transforming our lives. And uh, last week, where we finished off was that the primary lens through which we interpret the Bible is the person, the life, and the redemptive work of Jesus. One of the scriptures we shared last week on this was Colossians 2, 9, and 10. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Today, the concept that we're looking at, the truth that we're looking at, the core value that we're looking at is the Bible is the source of infallible truth and authority by which we judge all insight and prophetic revelation. Just for the sound guys, it's ringing up here at me. And so if you can just drop it a little bit and I'll speak louder if I need to. The, uh, so with this, it's really important that we understand this statement correctly. And the reason I, I, where I fit, uh, brought up what we said, that the primary lens through which we interpret the Bible is the person the life, and the redemptive work of Jesus. The Bible itself has no authority outside of God. And it's really important that we understand this. The Bible, all authority is in the Bible because all authority belongs to God and all authority has been put into Jesus. Without that truth first, the Bible having authority can't be true. So the Bible is true because it's the indwelt, living, breathed-in Word of God. And we're going to look at some scriptures on this in a minute. But it's so important that we understand this. We also need to understand what it means to be infallible. Because infallible, it means it's trustworthy. It means it's incapable of, of error. Now, there's two different words that we are used. One is inerrancy. And one is infallible. And I just said incapable of error, which is actually inerrancy. So it means that there can't, when you say something's inerrant, it means there can't be anything ever wrong with it. There can't be an error in it. Now, we can say that of original manuscripts that were first written by the authors of the New Testament and of the Bible as a whole. But the reality is, is, Anyone that has studied biblical texts can say throughout the years, throughout the transmission of Scripture, there are times where there have been little errors or there are things along those lines. Now, we're not talking, you know, Da Vinci Code conspiracy theory that the Bible has all been changed. But that the reality is that human error can occur in the transmission of things. But it's why we have to understand the Bible as infallible in that God himself is infallible, and God himself is fully trustworthy. Now, we are fortunate today in this age because we have so many copies and archaeological uh, um, expeditions that have happened where we can have uh, uh, 94% accuracy on Scripture. So, in other words, they can compare the texts, the ancient texts that we've had from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the different texts that have been uh, translated through the age and say that there is a 94% accuracy in things. And the things that are, that are debatable are minor. 
And if you look at the footnotes in your Bible, if you look at different things, you'll see where they'll say, well, this could be this, it could be this, we're not 100% sure. But none of those things change the meaning of what's written. But the importance of the authority of Scripture being first and foremost from the authority of God can never be misunderstood. You see, we get into these debates about the Bible, and people will try to, try to trip up Christians on, well, in this book, there, you know, in, for example, in the account of the tombs, and where the, the demon is cast out of people, in one account there's two people, in another account there's one person. And so people will find these little things, and they'll try to come and go, well, see, look, the Bible's got errors, it can't be true, if there's this, if there's this account, there's this account, then none of it can be true. But we've got to understand how the Bible was written and why it was written especially the New Testament. For example, we've got to understand that we are a New Testament people. You know, the Old Testament is not the age that we live in. We live in the New Testament. We've also got to understand the Bible was written not to be a book that you could go to and go, chapter 1, verse 10 has this, legal, this rule, and that's the rule that I'm supposed to follow. The Bible is there to give us a revelation of who God is. The Bible exists to reveal God to us. To bring us into his redemptive story of the world so that we know who Jesus is. That we know who God is. And that we understand how to be trained to live godly lives. It's written in very often in stories, in parables. It is not... We are not a people of the book the way people would some describe in other religions as if the book fell out of heaven with a bunch of rules to crush us. For some who would describe themselves as the people of the book, they are, they are it's like, oh, well, this rule says this, this thing says this. It's all about these rules and they treat their book as if it fell from heaven. We understand that God inspired writers from Old Testament through the New Testament through the Holy Spirit to write what's written. There is a pretty good indication that the writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John knew that they were writing foundational documents for which the rest of the church through the centuries or until the return of Jesus would live by. They were recording these stories so that we would know who Jesus was. Recording these testimonies so we would know who God is and that we would have a framework to go back to. It's also important for us on this side of history to understand that for the first 400 years, there was no official book of the Bible. The things that we have written in New Testament books existed, they had been written down before that, and they circulated through the churches, but there wasn't a consensus as to what the Bible was. So what this means is there were some, there were some letters, there were some documents in use in churches that we don't acknowledge today as having the authority of God. There were... The ones that we have today were the ones that were most used by the different churches. But they, for 400 years, for 400 years, it wasn't that people were like, well, the Bible says. There was no such thing. There were scrolls, there were letters, 
There was the Old Testament. The Old Testament as we have it today had been formed a few centuries before the birth of Jesus. In other words, it had been collected and accepted as a group of teachings, even though many of it was written obviously thousands of years before that. But there hadn't been an acceptance of group and teachings for us until officially 387, 397 after death. Now, there were a number of tests, and we're not going to focus on these, but I want to read them to you so you understand them. And just bear with me while I pull it up here. So there were five tests that when the church leaders got together, that they used to determine what got into the Bible and what didn't. The first was the test of divine inspiration. Does the book claim to be divinely inspired and is it inspired? So just because it may have claimed to be, do, can we know that this particular letter, this particular book was inspired by God? There was a test of human authorship. With that test, it was in the book written, was the person that wrote it an accredited agent of God? Were they a prophet? Did the Lord Jesus, were they a prophet? Or a relation to a prophet or an apostle? So in other words, it was really important who wrote it. You know, had Jesus appeared to them? Or were they someone that was walking with someone who was one of the apostles? Were they, was it, was, we know with Paul, Jesus had appeared to Paul. With Peter. There's, with Peter had been one of the disciples. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written by people. Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written by people that were walking alongside the first apostles. So this is very important. Who wrote the book was extremely important in giving it authority. The test of authenticity. Is the book factually true? Then there was a test of testimony. Was the book universally recognized? And the test of agreement. Does the book agree doctrinally with the rest of scripture? So to determine what was recognized and not recognized, they had to go through these different processes and texts to come to what we have as the Bible today. We have a doctrine, which is a belief structure, a set of beliefs, that the Bible is the Word of God. We have that because of the tests, because of who wrote it, because of of the testimony it gives to us of God. It's so important we understand the authority that it has and why it has that authority. Like I was saying last week, we can't say who Jesus is if we ignore Scripture. The reason in 397 AD they came and put this book together, because what had happened over the years as you had many people with alternate views of who Jesus was. Some coming with things saying, Jesus never really was a man. He was just a spirit. Some saying, you know, Jesus wasn't sinless. 
and many other different theories about Jesus that were starting to get put out to people that were not being put out by people who had been with Jesus, but by people who had their own agenda, by people that were trying to gain followers for themselves. There was all kinds of different reasons. And so it became a necessity to say, this is true, this is not. And thank goodness for us, 2,000 years later, that the church went through this exercise so we have something that we can come back to and go, this is true. That the work was done to recognize that these people walked with Jesus. These people understood that they had a direct revelation from Jesus that God had truly spoken to them as we've decided what's in this Bible that we have. But when we make statements saying that it has authority, we have to understand the context of those statements. It has authority because God's given it that authority through the people who wrote it through the revelation that was shared. Let's look at some of these scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 17. Paul writes and he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and you've become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you've learned it. And how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, in which case he'd be referring to the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is useful to us. Old Testament has a place, an important place in teaching us. It has an important place in us understanding our history, understanding the redemptive work of God through, throughout history, understanding everything that points to Jesus. It can train us in righteousness. The writers of the New Testament look to the Old for the prophecies of who Jesus was. Jesus himself quoted from the Old Testament to lay claim to Messiahship. It has a significant role in us in our understanding of God, in our understanding of who we are. It also plays a role in training us in righteousness, in what it is to how to rightfully live. We'll see examples in the Old Testament of how we shouldn't live and examples of how we should. We can see what happens to societies when they turn away from God and how he blesses them when they turn back to him. We can see examples of how we are to live today. And yet, we need to understand we live in the New Covenant and in the New Testament. So we've got to put it in its rightful place through what Jesus has done. Above, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, the wonderful, important thing here, if we go back to the principle that we're speaking about, 
that the Bible is the source of infallible truth and authority by which we judge all insight and prophetic revelation. It's so important when someone gives you a prophetic word that you compare it to Scripture. That's why we've got it. It's one of the reasons. It's not the only reasons. It's, it's, it's why, part of the reason of us having this truth. And so if someone comes and tells you that Jesus is an alien, that actually when he came on the cloud, it was actually the atmospheric change when a spaceship landed, that you can go, that's not true, because that completely goes against what's in Scripture. And when someone comes and gives you a prophetic word about something, and give, that you go, how does that line up with Scripture? Does that word you know, line up with the truth about who God is? Does it line up with the truth of what God says? Scripture is this plumb line for us, for our lives, in every, in every aspect of our lives. So, when we see in Scripture, it's saying... As we read in Peter, that for prophecy never has its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's referring to the prophets of the Old Testament, what's recorded in the Old Testament. But that same truth, if someone comes up to you and says, I'm a prophet, if they really are a prophet, then they need to be delivering the word of God, and that word needs to be able to stand a test of Scripture and test of truth. So, it's so important that we are testing things against that because there's lots of weirdness out there. Romans 15 verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Amazing. Teaches us endurance. It gives us hope. Not only does it teach us about God, it teaches us how to live, how to walk out our walk with Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 15. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we've passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by the letter, or by letter. And he's talking about the actual letters they were sending to the churches, the letters that we have in Scripture today. The Bible isn't true simply because it claims it's true. And it's so important that we understand that. It's not because the Bible itself, because it claims to be true. Any book can claim to be true. Without it being the breathed word of God, it has no authority. Without it having, being, coming from God, it has no authority. But because God has all authority and because he's the one that inspired the words on those pages, it carries authority. It carries authority. Matthew 22, verse 29. It's the last scripture I'll read for us. To set the context of this scripture. 
Jesus is speaking here to the Sadducees who have come to corner him. Now, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They thought the belief of the Sadducees was when you die, you die. That's it. There's no afterlife. There's, there's nothing that comes after this life. That's it. And so this group came to Jesus and they came to challenge him. And so they gave him this riddle about what happens because he knew that Jesus spoke of a resurrection. They're like, well, what happens in this afterlife? life. If I've, you know, if I, this person was married to one person and then their spouse died, and then they marry someone else and that spouse dies. When they get to heaven, who are they, who are they married to? And Jesus replied to them and he said this one, this line, he started out and he said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. We will be in error if we do not know the scriptures of the power or the pow- and the power of God, the same as the Sadducees did. Jesus then went on to explain to them, you know, what resurrection really looked like. But this line for us, you know, let's, let's repeat Jesus' words. Let's all read it together right now. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Let's try it one more time together. You, ready? One, two, three. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. In true Steve Backlund sense, let's say it again so it really goes in. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. If you do not prioritize knowing the scriptures... And if you don't know the power of God, you're going to be in error. If you need any motivation to read the Bible, it's that if you don't know it, you're going to be in error. Last week, I spent a lot of time on saying, talking about the fact the Bible needs to be properly interpreted. You know, that doesn't mean you should not read it means that as you read it and get a hunger for studying it, you're gonna, it's going to reveal to you more and more and more. You know, people misinterpret the Bible all the time. There are entire groups, you know, today in Christianity that have taken things in error, that focus on the wrong things. Again, when you read the Bible, you are reading the story of God. You're reading I love it in one book. It's a, his, his, you're reading history, which is his story, right? God's story. You're reading, and so reading a letter, read the whole letter. Read Galatians, all of it. You know, not just Galatians 1 or Galatians 2. Read it all. Read it all a few times and then study it more in depth because it's meant to be. The, the chapters and verses we've inserted They were not in the original letters. We've just made it easier to refer to things. But there was not chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 in Galatians. There wasn't 1 through chapter 1 through verse 1 to 29 or whatever they are. They weren't there originally. So ignore them so that you can hear the Holy Spirit can breathe into you what the author was meaning, what God was speaking to that person and understand that we are living 2,000 years after that letter was written. Which doesn't make it any less relevant to us, but we've got to understand there's a different, there may be a different context than what we read on our first reading. So keep reading. Keep letting the God reveal things to you. 
keep getting an understanding. We've got to give the Bible its proper place. It's got to have a place of living revelation, living power in our lives where it is speaking to us. But we can't be ignorant and go, the only Bible book I read is the Bible. Thank goodness there are scholars. Thank goodness there are people that are out there that study and have really got a grasp and understanding of history and archaeologists that have gone and found these original documents. We've got access to more information now than any time of history. And there, we aren't all called to be theologians. We're not all called to go into these in-depth studies, but we can read books by people that have. You know, and this is a teaching for another time in terms of that. Everyone that wrote a book has an angle. They have their own certain set of doctrines, their own certain sets of beliefs that they're filtering scripture through. So we've got to understand that. So that when, you know, I may be a fan of, of Bill Johnson, but I also love to read a whole pile of different authors to get, try to get an understanding of Scripture. I also read a whole lot of different interpretations of Scriptures. And what I mean by that is this. There's some, we've had times, I've had people that have left the church because they believe the only Bible you're supposed to lead is the King James Version. Because it's the one that has no errors. That is the biggest un- lack of truth about Scripture. You, well, it's not the biggest, it's one. It's, it's a lie, it's not true. The King James Version has errors. There were intentional errors in the King James Version by the writers of it. You know, there are errors that you will find in the New International Version, and there'll be errors in other ones that get changed in, over time. So I've had debates with people that I'm leading Lifehouse to hell because we read the new, I read from the New International Version. And, you know, and that, oh my goodness, Scripture's been changed by people. And if, you've, you know, if you go back to the King James, it's the right one. If you look and you see, if you read this version here, this version, and they're just foolish arguments about words that the Scriptures warn us against. Foolish arguments. You know, go read a whole pile of different interpretations that we have to get a true meaning of Scripture. And even then, maybe you won't have the full true meaning because it says in Scripture that we only know in part here, we'll know fully when it's truly known. Maybe tough for us to grasp, but there may be truths that are in there that are yet for us to dig out, to truly grasp and fully understand. And we shouldn't be afraid of that because those, those truths, they won't change the meaning of Scripture. They won't change. They won't go against what God's already said and the reveal of who Jesus is. Because this may be shocking to you, but we understand Scripture right now completely different than we did 100 years ago and way different than they did 600 years ago. It doesn't change God. God hasn't changed in that time. He hasn't changed at all. Jesus hasn't changed. You know, the living revelation of who God is has not changed. Our understanding of him has. Our understanding. And so, can we stand on Scripture as truth? Yes, absolutely, we can. It's the infallible truth of God. It is the authority of God. We can stand on it firmly in as much as it reveals the rock, the true rock, Jesus Christ. And he is the one that we all stand on. At the end of the day, we stand on Jesus. Jesus him. It's him, his work at the cross, his grace, his truth, 
His authority, all authority in heaven on earth that's been given to him that we live from today. You are who you are. You have what you have because of him, because of Jesus. Because God would choose to incarnate himself as a man, come in the flesh, live a sinless life, teach us, equip some apostles so that we can continue to be taught, die on a cross so that we can, we can be redeemed and that we can be reunited with our Father in heaven, reconnected in a whole new way, and then send the Holy Spirit to us who would reveal more truth and more truth. The Holy Spirit is still alive and working in the hearts of each and every one of us today. He's still there. He's still revealing truth. You are still meant to do even greater things than Jesus. That truth he reveals will not contradict a single thing about who Jesus is. So you don't have to be afraid of it. We get afraid of the wrong things. You want to be afraid of being led astray. Yeah, which is a a big thing. You get led astray when you digress from what the truth Bible reveals about Jesus. It never changes. It never changes. Never changes. He never changes. And he came to reveal and to redeem and to set us free. Free to worship God and to be transformed into his image. We love him. He loves us. And he's at work in each and every one of you today. Jesus is at work with you. I realize That some of this may, depending on the tradition you've grown up in, depending on what may have been taught to you, some of the things you may go, that's confusing. Or some of those things, someone may go, that's alarming. Let's chat. Let's look at Scripture. Let's continue to look at Scripture. Because you're meant to live in the fullness of everything that God has for you. The wonderful thing is, in our church, you know, years ago it was alarming praying. for, For some people it was alarming praying for healing. And now it's just commonplace. Prophetic words were alarming to people. People now understand them. And so we've got to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit through Scripture, through the authority of Scripture, to reveal God's will and who we are and how we are to live. Amen? Amen. Wonderful. Well, guys, have an amazing... When you're clapping, I mean, I appreciate it, and uh, I do. I'm like, oh, let me be honest. It's, it's like, okay, good, you, you heard what I, I said, you know? But it's more importantly for him, you know? And I love, again, you know, Bill Johnson, one of the people I love, and he'll say, you know, people will say something, and he'll compliment them, and they'll go, oh, well, no, that wasn't me, that was God. He'll go, no, 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 it, it certainly wasn't that good, you know? <laughs> and... Uh, we all, we all have God working in and through us. We're going to have people praying for you this morning if you need prayer here. If, again, if you're not signed up for the bread and honey and you want to come and join us today, the more of us there are praying for people and reaching out, the better. So please come. If you don't have a wristband, you'll have to pay five bucks to get in. If that's going to be an issue, I'm happy to reimburse you. Just come and let me know. And, uh, you know, we want you there. So it's, uh, if, you, if you need questions about that, come up and ask me, ask Lee or... Uh, about where the Bread and Honey Festival is, and we'll see you there this afternoon. Coffee, cookies, snacks at the back. Have an amazing week. Take care.